This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Almost forgot where I was. Typical of a Monday. Disability Employment Awareness Month rolls on. There has been plenty of conversation on the mighty airwaves of AMI. Some really thoughtful conversations about inclusive hiring protocols. Several folks have talked about the merit of entrepreneurship for people with disabilities. Here's the thing. Does it feel like the message is being received more widely or is there maybe some inclusion fatigue amongst the general population? Let's explore that idea with Kelly Braun Johnson. Kelly is the founder of Completely Inclusive. Hey, good morning, Kelly. Nice to chat with you once again. Hi, good morning, Dave. So, Kelly, what are what are your observations about the general interest in Disability Employment Awareness Month? So, you know, we've talked about this uh, the last two years. We've talked about this on the show. And so it's been really interesting to compare um, the changes that have occurred over the last couple of years. Um, to me, I think this year, interest has really tanked. Um, I remember previous years where the CN Tower was being lit up and and there was just, I think, a bit more recognition. Um, but it's certainly something that I've seen my colleagues who work in the same industry have seen kind of very similar things where the interest has kind of petered out. Why Why do you think that is? I've got a couple theories, but I want to let you go first so that I don't cannibalize your thoughts. So, well, I mean, I, th- I think, I'm, I'm, I think something what you were hinting at the intro there that I think we're kind of on the same uh, theme. Um, but I do think that DEI and, or IDEA, um, those concepts have kind of fallen out of favor again. Um, the trend that I've been seeing is that businesses have been cutting back um, on, on those kind of efforts. Um, and I think everyone is kind of trying to get things to so-called return to normal, um, uh, pre-pandemic kind of things. So they're not focusing on that. Um, I think they're not feeling the same pressure that they used to feel um, to be more inclusive. Um, and I think they're just not focusing on the the idea that that inclusion and equity really is the way forward is the solution for that they should be putting their their time and their efforts and their money into this is probably deeply cynical in my theory in in regards to the inclusion fatigue or why maybe the efforts have dried up a little bit i i would suggest and argue there, there's, there's been a lot of chatter about recession and economic slowdown. Maybe it has not been as drastic as some of the pundits wanted to make it about 12 months ago, but clearly there has been a slowing economically in the last 12 months. And despite all the research that suggests inclusion doesn't necessarily cost you all that much, it does feel like perhaps in moments of an economic slowdown, a lot of companies, especially large and medium-sized companies, just aren't going to make those kinds of investments, no matter how small they might be. They might just start thinking about the bottom line and the bottom line exclusively. And Kelly, I know that's so deeply cynical, but I do have that 
theory in, in what I'm thinking about in regards to sort of the larger corporate picture? I, I mean, I 100% agree with you. This is not, it's kind of a depressing topic, but it, but it's, I think it's the truth. I think that's what's been happening. Um, and it's a shame because those, like you said, those economic realities, um, the pressures are real. I get that. But the lack of uh, putting that emphasis and putting the, the financial backing where it's important, I think businesses are really missing the point. They're not understanding how much um, return on investment, so to speak, that they will get if they actually do invest in things like inclusion, accessibility, diversity. Um, because the returns you get from that are, are human returns. This is, it's, it's, it's going to help the rest of society when they actually put the money where it is really important to put. Yeah, it's it's it it's it goes back to this idea of it being a little bit short-sighted and so many times that's how companies are going to look at things in a very short-sighted way. But you've talked about this before, the idea that disability inclusion is more than just a bottom line argument. There's plenty of organizations that will make the bottom line arguments, but it goes well beyond the bottom line argument, especially when you're talking about building something in terms of a sustainable way. And that's where it really strikes me as short-term thinking. Right, right. I mean, I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over. Ah, sorry, and over again, right? <laughs> but it's true. But I mean, that's that is really. I think that's really how it is. I might have talked myself out of some work because I'm I'm very consistent in this message, and I and I think it's reflecting the reality of what's happening in the business mm. world. Well, Kelly, just because other people aren't talking about it doesn't mean that you and I can't dive a little bit of deeper here because there are some important components of the inclusive employment picture, and you and I may as well tackle them together, and that's the issue of underemployment. People with disabilities in the workforce may still find themselves doing jobs there overqualified for, or there may not be a pathway for people to advance in a company. So how do you perceive the issue of underemployment for people with disabilities and even other equity-seeking groups? So, you know, I always love talking about intersectionality. So we have these huge social issues that spill over when we're talking about the problem of underemployment or unemployment of people with disabilities specifically. Um, I got some recent stats for this uh, from Pacific Coast University that state there are 1.4 million disabled people living in Canada, living in poverty in Canada right now, like 1.4 million. And the suicide rate for unemployed disabled people is 40 times higher than the general population. This is staggering. Um, and so I think society needs to understand and businesses need to understand that it's not just about the unemployment when we're talking about employment the way that it spills over into other issues, um, the way that it affects society as a whole. Um, it's really important that we see this for the reality that it is, that it is a complex issue, and there's a cascade of related issues that can occur. Um, so we're, if we're solving an employment issue, which is a single issue, we can't look at anything as a single issue, but if we do solve that issue, we take care of a lot of the other issues that can go along with it, like the poverty mm. and the food insecurity and the, the mental health. Um, but the reality is that we're still living in a society that stigmatizes disability. Um, and there's still businesses out there that, uh, if they do hire us, they say, you know, it's a charity, it's a charity case or, or, you know, um, they're doing us a favor. Um, and so we should be thankful for whatever we get if we do actually get hired. Um, mm. And it's it's just it's just the case where the, the businesses have not changed their thinking to, to show or to, 
to demonstrate or to understand that we are equal um, and capable employees. And so this is a, to me, it's a huge social issue. Yeah, I, I think of it as, as a blockade. And as you pointed out, the, the poverty side of the equation is not simply people who may be on a social assistance program. There are a lot of people right now who are struggling, even if they have a job, right? The cost of living is really, really high. And just because somebody might have an entry-level position or have one of those sort of token-created, I'm going to use the words that other folks use, the, quote, charity position, as I throw up the, the air quotes in there, it doesn't necessarily mean that job is going to take them out of the overall poverty situation, which is why pathways to advance in a company are so important. Uh, I suppose you and I could also have a broader ethical conversation about paying a living wage, but let's put let's put that yeah. to the side. Let's put that to the side for a second. That's that's a whole different uh, fifteen minute conversation that, mm -hmm. that you and I can have. But the pathways to advancement in a company really, really matter. What do you believe a company can do to create those pathways to chart a course for an employee to work their way up through a company's uh, uh, chain of command? So I think businesses need to create um, a very clear equitable, uh, equitable sorry, promotion plans and procedures. Um, I worked at a business early on in my days that that had a very clear path for promotion. They had standardized tests to achieve it, which, I mean, we can also have another discussion oh about standardized tests. <laughs> but because of the way that they did things, um, there was a lot more diversity within the leadership, um, which is really important because we need to see ourselves represented. Um, we always talk about, you know, um, grooming, grooming the next people, the, the ones that are coming up. Um, and in general, this happens when people choose or select people within the company that, who are like them already. Um, but if there are no, uh, there's no representation and it's hard to have a role model, it's hard to kind of get that um, advantage, you know? I'd say also the, the fact is right now, um, there's a great blog up on the Canadian Association for Supported Employment website. Um, and it talks about how there's only 0.8% of execs uh, in Canada are disabled, um, which is just, staggering. again, another one of these staggering stats that don't make any sense. Um, you know, that's not in line at all with the reality of disability in Canada, where we're at 24%. Um, so only 0.8% of execs in Canada um, are disabled. Um, how does that happen? How does how do we get there? That doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so unless a business is actually looking to address this gap specifically and that they're looking to bring up and hire more or promote more equity-deserving demographics, this is not something that's going to change anytime soon. Kelly, I like what you say there about creating a clear identified pathway, right? Objective goals to say, if you do this, there's the opportunity for the possibility of a promotion. I also think about training opportunities because a lot of companies will tell you, oh yeah, there's all sorts of training opportunities for you to develop new skills. But here's the thing, you've got to kind of do that on your own time. Or hey, if you want to work shadow somebody, oh, you've got to kind of do that on your own time above and beyond the work you're already doing, essentially giving the company company free labor and I and I always consider that to be a little bit of a dangerous trap because there's no assurances that doing that training is going to get you anywhere it might just be you doing free free labor for your employer mm -hmm. and it's, it's dangerous too right because only the privileged can really do that that's not something that 
somebody can't necessarily take night classes uh, for all sorts of different reasons, other mm -hmm. responsibilities that they might have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just uh not fair. Absolutely. Okay, Kelly, one last thought here. I know I know it's been sort of this deeply <laughs> cynical, uh, depressing conversation today, and I'm not saying this question is any more uplifting, but may as well ask it as it stands. Normally, when someone wants a promotion or a chance to grow in their career, they're told, hey, switch companies, you know, like leverage your skills, go somewhere else. How would you apply the disability lens to that oh-so-common career advice? You know, I, I started writing this answer last night. I went to sleep and I woke up and I don't have any better solutions. <laughs> because, <laughs> it's, it's hard. And I feel like, again, I feel a bit bad. It's Monday morning. We're leaving it on a, on a bit of a bad note. Um, but, you know, the, again, let's talk about the reality. Um, the stakes are higher when uh, you're trying to jump to a different job. Uh, if, if you don't know that the other place is going to accommodate you or be accepting, you're taking a huge chance, a huge risk. So... I totally understand that if you're already um, in a financially precarious situation, um, that you would stay where you know, hey, you know, it might not be the best, but things are working, or I'm able to pay the, you know, I'm able to pay the minimum of my bills, that kind of thing. Um, and we we just look at the the unemployment rates or the underemployment rates as well. Depending on the disability, they can be as high as eighty five percent. So. They're not. We're not in a position to take chances um, and to to hope that the next place is going to pay better and be better uh, to us. Um, and then I thought of yeah, you know, you spoke about entrepreneurship. That is often a solution, but it's not the solution for everyone. Yeah. Obviously, um, that was definitely one of the solutions that I came up with um, for myself. But again, that's also a precarious financial situation to be in. So. I don't have, like I said, I went to sleep on this, I woke up and I still don't have a good, a really good answer other than to say, this is what the reality is. And unless um, a lot of things change, I don't see it changing very quickly. You know, Kelly, it's 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 okay if every now and then the reality of the situation is negative because I think as demotivating as it can be, it's also what motivates people like you and me to kind of get up every day and tackle this issue. So if I, if I was going to say there's some positivity to take into the overall negativity, it's that there's people like you out there in the world who are working hard every day. So even if today was a little bit of a bummer of a conversation, the reality is you're doing great work out there and keep it up. No, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I hope that also validating other people's experiences that they see that I'm not here to talk about sunshine and rainbows all the time. We need to validate the uh, real experience of people right now, and then we can help to lift them up. That's well put. Kelly, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. That's Kelly Braun Johnson, the founder of Completely Inclusive. Let's uh, talk about some weather that also might not be of the happiest nature with Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, people in Eastern and Atlantic Canada are getting the boots out. They're getting their boots out. They're gearing up for a white Halloween, perhaps like the ones they used to know, with five to 10 centimeters of snow. People in the Maritimes, they started their weekends, not unlike us, in shorts and t-shirts, but they're gonna need some warmer clothes. Get out those parkas because a sudden change in weather is going to make it much colder and bring the first snow of the season this week. Places like New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and PEI might get five to 10 centimeters of snow before that weather settles on down. 
And that cold weather, it's going to stay for a while, even into that second week of November. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Temperatures are going to drop a lot before that first snow of the season. That strong cold front that was experienced yesterday on Sunday is going to make temperatures fall by as much as 15 degrees. Some places might only reach single-digit temperatures. Starting today, there is a good chance for the first snow of the season in eastern Canada. And because it's colder than usual, parts of New Brunswick, North Nova Scotia, and PEI will see snow. And some areas are going to get accumulating snow. So be prepared, get out the boots and the hats, make sure you are dressed warm for Halloween because yeah. snow, as scary as it is, is coming. <laughs> yeah, that's already that's already the case in uh, Eastern Ontario, Western Quebec, Montreal, the snow's, yeah. the snow's already on the ground and they are uh, unhappy. Uh, Elizabeth. Okay, I like the first snowfall though, Dave. I'm on the camp of I love it. I, I just, something special about it, uh, I have to say. Yeah, until it's special until you're sick of it. Elizabeth, for thank sure. you for this. Coming up you're after welcome, the break, Dave. Reptile is a film on Netflix. It stars Benicio Del Toro. It's a crime thriller. Kim Thistle will review it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.